Hey everybody, I hope you and your loved ones are safe, happy and healthy. Before you listen to or watch the show, remember to subscribe and follow the Mortgage Broker Club on Facebook and LinkedIn to stay up to date with all the latest news and updates. Please note we are not a mortgage broker and do not lend money directly to clients. Remember a mortgage and or borrowing secured against your home or property can be repossessed if you do not keep up the mortgage repayments. The content of this show is for information purposes only and is not to be relied upon. Stay well and I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Sean Rogers, and I am delighted to be joined on today's show by Andrew Montlake, the Managing Director of Corico. On today's show, we're going to be picking Andrew's brains on all things mortgage broker and property related. Andrew, how are you? I'm fine, thanks. Uh, thank you very much for having me having me on. I'm delighted to be here. Well, thank you for coming on. So for those that may not know, Andrew's not only a closet rock star, <laughs> but has vast ex- <laughs> I've got to get that in first. Um, he's also got vast experience as a mortgage broker uh, across advertising and PR, and is also the managing director of Corico. He's led the growth of an award-winning mortgage broker business and is chairman of the Association of Mortgage Intermediaries. I'm keen to ensure we get as much value out of the time Andrew has uh, you know, I'm very humbled at the time he's given a way to do this for us. So with the time we've got available, I want to get as much as we can for both mortgage brokers and a wider audience. So we'll jump right in. Um, Andrew, what are the areas of business that you enjoy the most and what aspect of your role do you least enjoy and why? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, look, at heart, I'm still a mortgage broker. So um, I love, I love that talking to clients and, picking up the phone and not knowing who you're going to be talking to, basically. I, I quite like that excitement of, uh, of helping people. Um, but as I've got more involved in the business and now running the business, I love the, um, I've always loved the marketing side of it and, and PR. Um, I'm quite gobby. So I quite like giving, <laughs> giving my opinion, whether people agree with that opinion or not. <laughs> Um, so I've always enjoyed the marketing side of it. I'm passionate about brand, really passionate about the customer journey um, and passionate about the industry. So I love that side of it. But I also love leading people and I, and I really enjoy the strategy areas, um, really trying to work out where we can take Corico and what we can do and all that strategic areas and 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 just working with a with a fantastic team um some of the things that i, <laughs> I dislike uh I, I guess everything's part and parcel isn't it there, there's always going to be hassles there's always going to be stresses it's always going to going to be issues that come out when you least expect it um and i guess some of those are the are the things that sort of grind you down you might have some weeks where everything's running smoothly and it's all great. And then you might have another week where it just seems to be issue after issue after issue, and that could grind you down a little bit. Um, and that, and those are the bits that sometimes you, I, I struggle with a bit. Um, the workload generally is, uh, <laughs> is something that, uh, that I struggle with a bit. Um, but, um, but look, we've got, we've got a great team at Corico and, uh, and I'm I'm really blessed with with good people around me who who can help me through the harder times. 
Yeah, I just endorse that before we move on on the basis that I always think it's hardest when when you've got multiple third parties that let's say aren't doing what you expect them to do, mm. or you could argue maybe aren't doing what they should. And to, to a huge degree, that's completely out of your control. And when that's happening, what feels like every minute of every hour, every day, and that starts to build up, you know, things aren't going on, especially if you're MD or CEO or whatever. If it's your operation, it's within your control because you've got, you know, onboard and training recruitment yeah. systems, et cetera. That's kind of maybe not in the short term. You can't change that necessarily. Mm. Perhaps you can, perhaps you can't. But when it's so many third parties, and I think that's one of the things with mortgage brokers, I think from looking from the outside in, is there's just so many different third parties um, that you have to liaise with, and not just from a mortgage application point of view, but when you know you talk about your brand building and your leads mm. and your website and then your compliance and then the FCA and et cetera, you know, you've just got multiple third parties where, like you say, that kind of grind or albeit frustration can just mount up. So yeah, can- absolutely. It's it's people who don't respect your time really bug me that's one of my bugbears at the moment um and and people who don't do what they say they're going to do yeah here 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 on 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 that definitely i was you built a fantastic brand whilst scaling the business obviously generating sales you know many people struggle to do both and, and it's a huge thing to try and get your sales in scale the business and also build brands. So what would your advice be from your experiences? What would you say almost looking back about how you can increase sales and build brand? Um, I think one of the first things I learned very, very, very early on was um, was about authenticity and, and be authentic and true to yourself. We are all different. We all have a slightly different approach. Once you try and start copying something just because you think that's a way to do it sometimes you can leave lose your authenticity and there are some fabulous fabulous people in this industry there's some amazing companies um be proud of what you do what makes your company good what's your little remarkable difference and build on that um i still see it all the time when you look on social media and you can see some people um <clears throat> talking about this, that, and the other, and you just think, I know why you're saying that. It's not really you. Um, and and that, I, th- I think clients and, and potential introducers can see th- through all that now. So it's all about being authentic. Also, always remember who your audience is and who you want to target. You can't just go out there and just say, right, I'm going to target everyone. Um, think about who your typical client is, who you want that through the door. Um, and that's something I've always tried to do whenever, whenever we, I looked at building the Corico brand. It was very specific what we wanted to do. We really wanted to not dumb down the process, but really talk to people in a really down-to-earth way. And one of the best p- bits of advice I ever got was my first ever BBC radio interview, where the interviewer just said to me before we went on, he just said, just remember, it's two blokes down a pub talking. And that was brilliant. And that's how people engage. They just want to hear that. They don't want jargon. They don't want complications. They don't want you to, to make promises that you're never going to keep. And if you're going to say you're the best broker, why? 
how are you the best broker why are you um and and really try and and uh and paint pictures around why we do that we we sort of went through a period where actually do you know what we're not going to make any promises all brokers say they're the best broker have a look at all our client testimonials and you decide and actually we got our clients to do our marketing for us <coughs> excuse me um and it's just it's just being true to yourself and, and never lose focus on your service to the client that's what's really really important um it's all very well spending loads of stuff on on marketing or pr or going out there if your process in the back end isn't isn't working if clients aren't being um, dealt with properly and efficiently then that's going to come out so so all we tried to do was was actually was do things a little bit different we we, we were very early adopters of social media and of podcasts and and things like that and and just try and be really down to earth and I think that's all I'd say to anyone is just be yourself. Don't be frightened of being yourself. Um, and a personal brand can grow with a uh, company brand in a very similar way. Um, and myself and um, our last MD, we, we, I think Corico became the sort of the uh, the bastard love child of, uh, of of the two of us and our personalities. And um, and that and that's how we created this 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 Corico brand, which is something that you know I feel it's it's my baby. So it's uh, it projects how we feel and and how we feel as a as a group of people within Corico. Yeah, just on that note, I think the next episode we make sure we are in the pub and getting it recorded there for those listening to this, not watching on Zoom. <laughs> I'd but love we- to do. Yeah, I really want to do a series of podcasts where it's down the pub with. So <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll do one with you. Definitely. And um, I've spoken to quite a few um, people who, when they scale their businesses, it, and, and, and that's something I heard Gary V say recently, actually, in an interview where he said, the more I scale my business, the more time I spend in HR. And with, yeah. with the growth of the business that you've had, you've obviously had to recruit over the years. You can clearly see at Corico a fantastic culture where, you know, your colleagues are talking openly about there being no egos, a client-focused approach. You know, what are the key factors for creating that culture and then also maintaining, you know, a healthy culture in the workplace thereafter? Culture has to come from the top. It has to come from the people running the business. They have to live and breathe it and they have to believe it. Um, Sometimes there's a bit of tick box in terms of culture. And then you might see some of the owners of the business or some of the directors. It's a bit of do as I say, not as, not as I do. And you're not going to embed culture correctly into the business if that's happening. So again, what, what we did was um, we actually involved everyone. So, so we were very passionate about how we want Coraco to be. And then we engaged with all our workforce. So we had uh, a couple of sessions before we did our our latest rebrand a few years ago of around, okay, what does it mean to be Corico? What what does it mean? What does a good practice look like? What are our values? And we condensed all of that into our DNA. So we literally have a 10, 11-point DNA. 
um, which we then linked into our bonuses as well. So actually, bonuses aren't just about sales. It's about living and breathing the Corico DNA. Um, and that's not just treating our customers fairly and making sure that we deal with them properly, but it's also respect for each other, diversity, opinions, listening to each other, um, and and all of that. And and that culture is embedded into everything we do, and we try and project that out. Um, It is a battle. It's, 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 It's always something you need to keep looking at and once you once you define that culture then recruitment becomes a little bit trickier and easier at the same time because you know what type of person you want in the company um it's not just the next big sales writer because the next big sales writer could come in and if they don't match the corico culture they're going to they're going to cause more problems. So actually, it's all about recruiting people who we know would fit within our DNA. And that's one of the discussions we have. Are they a good fit for Corico? Not just are they good at their job? Um, so it's uh, it's something that you have to keep, keep looking at and keep reviewing. And people are bored of me talking about our DNA and our culture. Um, but it's something that I'm passionate about. Um, and so that's something that you have to embed within the company, um, but involve everyone. I don't think you can quite dictate it. You need to, everyone to take ownership of it as well. Um, it's not just my culture, it's our culture. And I mean, the last 12 to 18 months has been absolutely unprecedented for everybody. I mean, what, mm. what are the biggest challenges you faced at Corico and then how did you react or how did you meet those challenges? Um I think we're still, we're still we're still you know struggling in in some points. I think everyone everyone is. It was it was strange. As I say going back to culture. You've got this environment where actually you go into an office and it's buzzy and everyone's helping each other and you've got the, the music playing and people are on the phone and then suddenly there's nothing and everyone's spread around and not not only are people unsure about what happens to their work and can I work okay? But there's also a health crisis as well. So, so they're worried about that. So you've got, it really is unprecedented times and trying to keep everyone bonded and together and still have that Corico spirit is hard. It's something that you have to work at. And, and, you know, as I say, we're lucky we've got great management team. We've got great people. We, We do try to do that as much as possible but there's only so much you can do via zoom calls and you know you had our christmas party virtually and and it is quite difficult so so getting back to face to face um is going to be great but then you have the issue now which i think most businesses are facing is how much do you come back into the office do you tell everyone they have to be in actually things have changed so there has to be some flexibility so i guess that's that's part of the the big challenge now is how do we how do we work efficiently share knowledge like we used to do and keep that culture and buzz on a hybrid situation where actually maybe people are only coming in two to three days a week and then is that the norm going forward so every business has to adapt now 
and that's that's part of the challenge that's that's probably the biggest challenge at the moment yeah spot on i mean something that doesn't look like it's going to go away is, is the whole thing about kids being you know you can have situations where one child is going into school say, mm. and the other child is at home so you've got two challenges you, you've got two school runs that still need doing for one child but even if you've got childcare, knowing that the family home have got a positive test in there, some people, you know, that that might affect childcare as well to a degree. Yeah. Um, but then you've obviously got people who are saying, not only do I need to work from home, but on top of that, I need some flexibility within that time frame because mm. what do I do? Does that mean I have to take the day off? Does that mean we say you can be, you know, be flexible during the day? Um, and that's before you even go into situations where in the workplace you might not have the entire workforce double vaccinated. Um, mm. is, is that something that employees even want to go near? In, in essence, in terms of they might not have a choice because staff may bring that to them as a manager yeah. team yeah. and say, hang on a minute, we're all double vaccinated. Or, for instance, I might be a vulnerable person, for instance. Mm. I don't feel comfortable coming in unless I know that everyone's double vaccinated. But then how do you even find that out as an employer? And then what happens to data? in terms of that because that's high that's the most sensitive data ever and then just because people say it people could say well how do you know and i suspect most employees are going to go because of gdpr we do, we're not going near yeah it's a really tricky one yeah it's a really tricky one i mean we keep as we you know we're we're very open about talking about it and if people are are uncomfortable then they can voice it um Mental health has been has been a, a big challenge, and I, I'm pleased to see that as an industry, we're starting to do better in in confronting that and talking about it and dealing with that. Um, and that's something that I've noticed on both sides of the fence. You've got the mental health of of people who are too scared to come in uh, because they might have vulnerable family members or themselves, and you've also got the mental health of people who who need to come in, who want to come in, who, who can't work in that home environment. Um, so it's quite interesting. And, and that's one thing we, we've just recruited um, um, someone who, who is, is going to be taking on our, our HR role. And one of the first things we've implemented is a mental health policy. Um, and that's something that I think is really starting to help people actually knowing that there's something, they're knowing we've got a policy, knowing that that we're listening to them. Um, it's not enough anymore just to say I'm man up. It's just, it's just not enough. It's not good enough. Um, and that's something that I think the industry is, is starting to take on as a, as a big challenge around, around um, on top of other things like diversity and like those kinds of things. So um, there's some interesting challenges now, but business is always that. There's always something. There's always a, a challenge. I, I did joke with my business partner the other day. It would be nice to have just one year, just one year where it's just nice and smooth and constant uh, without anything else happening. But if you think about the last four or five years, it's been extraordinary from, from Brexit, the pandemic. It's, it's, it's not been a, a long period where actually you can just get on and run the business. There's always been something else. But I guess it was ever thus. Indeed, and just, you know, here, here, and in respect of the mental health aspect of that, and I think that's absolutely fantastic and from a cargo point of view as well, both with the appointments and with the implementation of that, of that policy. Um, according to the latest research 
from Iris. Around 90% of mortgages went through mortgage brokers intermediaries last year. Now that's up substantially, substantially, sorry, from 77-ish mm. percent the year before. Now, doing a bit of research, many believe that will continue to increase in future years. Uh, why do you think this is, or do you agree firstly, but why do you think it is and how can mortgage brokers then capitalise on this? Um, I think we've we've seen that trend over the over the last few years, and and certainly with the with the pandemic and and the fact that there's so many branch closures and and lenders have struggled for a bit with staffing. It's no surprise that actually it's gone even further towards brokers. I think what brokers have is they score highly in trust, and I think people understand more and more that actually when you're about to take on the biggest loan you're ever going to take out, uh, especially one that's connected to your home, you need advice. Um, And I think that message is getting out there better and better. Um, And that's something I I still think there's a long way to go. I think if you ask, it's quite interesting, if you ask probably stop 10 people on the street and ask them to, you know, what, what a mortgage broker is, then I, I do think a lot of them won't be able to explain it or actually really understand what we do. Um, but when they're actually looking for a property, when they start along the journey, we know that a lot of people will probably start online, think they can do it themselves, maybe talk to their bank and then get disheartened because it's not because there's so much information or it's not moving quickly enough. And then they will actually speak to someone who go, oh, do you know what? I used a, I used a broker give them a call they were really good um and then they'll find the world of the broker is a lot is a lot slicker it's a lot more professional um and actually that everything is explained in a lot better way um and they get that benefit of advice so i think um i think we're in a purple patch as an industry of mortgage broking um and it's up to us as an industry to make sure that we don't lose that that we do deliver, that we do embrace technology where it's there to help us, um, to help the customer journey. Um, Technology shouldn't be to replace the broker. I think we've proved, um, you saw the likes of Habito, Trussell, et cetera, come into our industry saying, yeah, we're going to change it. It's all going to go from A to Z without um, talking to a broker and technology. Um, But very quickly, they changed their tune from we're we're all about tech to actually we're we're people powered by technology and that's that's really been what uh, what we've been about um so it's not surprising where it is whether it will stay at those high levels i think we do have some challenges to come in the future as lenders do start to get their act together there will be more of a battle around the back end um lenders are starting to to realise that actually they're they're getting all this business in the front end, but then letting it go at the back is is not good. So as they improve technology, they'll they'll try and retain a little bit more. Um, but then also they know that actually the broker, even though they're paying a proc fee, the broker channel is quite a, a cost effective way of distributing their products. We do all the marketing for them. Um, we take the advice risk. So actually, I think um, I think these levels will be sustainable for some time yet. 
but we can't afford to rest on our laurels and just assume it will always be that way because we don't own the clients. The lenders don't own the clients. It will be the client's choice. And we have to make sure that we're doing the right things and we're front and centre of those clients a lot earlier on and we're better at retention. We're better at um, keeping in touch with them um, and just giving them a call every once every five years just before their rate expires is, is not going to be enough going forward. On that point, I think I think two things. I think one from the perspective of the mortgage broker aspect is the big uniqueness that you have as a broker is that quality of service. In yeah. that you should never lose to what is in essence a big multinational almost PLC. And even some of the biggest mortgage broker operations, like even if Amazon wanted to come over here and play, which there's all sorts of things going on in America and Nevada in terms of Amazon partnering with um, real estate operations mm, because yeah. whoever wins voice will win. So there's a race on between Google and Amazon as to who's going to get voice in the walls and people's homes. Because if I, it, it, once I've got voice in the walls of my house, if it's Amazon, Google isn't getting in there and vice versa. Yeah. And, vice, and anyone else yeah. who wants to play in that game. So the rewards to the victor of that, I don't think the world has ever seen, could put a number, a figure on the potential mm. rewards for voice in, the, in this decade. And when you go mortgage broker on voice, Google and Alexa will dictate who appears. Not, yeah, that's right. Not 20 brokers on the first page of Google. So, mm. The only, what I believe, I would say mortgage brokers generally are as bad as the legal industry traditionally of closing the file. And yes, they might get the word of mouth, but the post-transaction engagement yeah, totally agree. isn't good enough. And I mm. think it, 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 you've got to make it a must, not a should. But the ability to, especially in the local community, the ability to engage in that community to do your non-religious festive cards, to know when it's people's birthdays. You've got the data from, mm. from the application at the end of the day, as you say, to know when to reach out to them, to lend that mm. hand. And also all the other things that you can potentially help with, depending on what skill set you've got within your firm or or even if you're a sole um, self-employed broker, you know, it could be equity release, it could be the protections, it could be the insurances. And there's loads of other things that mm. you can potentially help with, which could be referral and just getting to know them and touch base with them and so forth. Um, so I think that post-engagement is going to be critical because with the banks, I also think we've gone through a unique decade where, you know, our parents and even grandparents, their relationship with the bank manager was a personal, that was it. You need yeah, money. That's right. Situation. Yeah. You go to the bank manager and then you trust whatever that bank manager says. Mm. It was almost like the family solicitor kind of role. In the last decade, there are I could go on for we won't, but we I could literally go on for the next hour about and they and some of them aren't even that well reported about issues with the banks lending, look at the missile scandals mm. um, that have gone on. Then you've still got that bad feeling of which you can make a big case has been maybe wrongly broadcast, but about like banker bonuses post-recession and, and this thought process that the city of London is, is almost like the stockbrokers of the mid eighties mm. kind of almost culture. And I just, I think people now are a, 
don't treat the bank in such a way and the bank don't have that brand relationship with your advisor or an individual they're mm. in essence faceless aren't they in terms of who you yeah in a lot of cases yeah and that's and just you know that they're not going to recommend a third party nationwide they're mm. going to tell you do you know what i think you might be best going to kensington mm. so we're now in a comparison world aren't we where everyone just wants to go online and go and the other problem is i also think mortgages again wrongly that it's seen as a commodity I think it's a lot like legal services that once you start seeing everyone with five star reviews, then you're into price unless mm. you unless you've got that word of mouth or that personal relationship with someone. And that's our battle as an up. industry. We we can't we can't allow and it would be wrong to allow mortgages to be defined as just another commodity because they're not. They are much more complex there's uh it, as i said it's the biggest loan you're ever going to take out that the uh the costs of getting it wrong can run into thousands thousands of pounds or ultimately losing your house um so we and that's something that we as an industry have to have to battle against you, you can't commoditize mortgages in my humble opinion in the same way you can as credit cards or or smaller personal loans etc price is not everything yeah i completely agree on the remortgage side like remortgage numbers have dropped massively so like solicitors firms have seen an, an enormous increase particularly in purchase but remortgage departments in some places 60 70 percent down now or you should make an argument potentially for free legals and so forth but nevertheless i do think because of the way the market is the ability to do a product transfer if you like with your existing lender because of the convenience I think there's a big opportunity to do an education piece on why it's so important to just go and get that, if you will, free consultation or initial consultation with a broker to actually access the whole of market on something like a remortgage. Because yeah, I, I think I think that's an area where mortgage brokers can educate a lot. Um, in terms of adverse credit, there's been an increase uh, in queries in that over the last few months by mortgage brokers. I find it interesting though that lenders seem to be opening up criteria at a time when many are predicting increased affordability struggles in the future for families you've got the cost of childcare, which is immense already increasing all the talk about energy bills you've got the end of furlough and they're just three areas of concern how do you view adverse credit within the market with an eye on next year and is it an opportunity for brokers to scale and maybe at a sort of niche area or, or would you think that's something to treat with extreme caution um it's something i've always treated with extreme caution um adverse credit is um i think it you know will be on the rise it has it has been for a while um if you look at the number of ccjs that have been i think i read somewhere that there was something like in 2019 or 2020 there was something like 1.2 million ccjs um registered against people a lot of them for small bills like mobile phone bills 25 30 quid etc um and that just comes down to education of people and actually you know financial education is 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 poor in the uk in my humble opinion and that's something that that needs to be addressed um but it it is interesting we we are seeing that, that there are people who who have got into slight difficulty and and actually um, if they're in slight difficulty for whatever reason, like a life event, 
um, say divorce or or, or death or, or something like that, um, then then actually there should be options available for them. That you should be able to help people. That you know someone's genuinely just just missed the odd thing here here and there. Then then okay, you know you, you should be able to help them. Um, and it's no surprise that you're seeing some lenders looking at this area because it's all about margins. And especially if you're a specialist lender or challenger bank, um, how can you compete at the moment with the big six who have got tons and tons of cheap cash to lend out? You, you can't go in with a fixed rate below 1% for five years if, if you're that type of lender. Um, so you need to look at other areas and, and more underserved markets where you can help people and, and achieve margin as well. So you're taking a little bit more risk. Um, so, so that doesn't surprise me at all. It, it, it is an opportunity for mortgage brokers, but it's about having that in their armory. And every good mortgage broker should should have all these things in their armory, where actually if, if you have someone who's who've got a little bit of ed- adverse and you know which specialist lenders to go to, you understand that you can help that person. Um, but it's also being strong enough to say, do you know what? I could help you, but I don't think I should help you because actually you need to get this paid off first or actually, and I'd like to see more advice from, from brokers in, in that respect. Um, and the good brokers will always do that. I always remember one of my biggest referral chains um, back in the day was from a, a, a couple who I said I wasn't going to help because I felt, Although I could do it, I felt they were stretching themselves themselves too much, um, and they took my advice and and I think it was the best thing they did, and they referred loads of people to me. Um, so it's all about that. So so I'd always say that uh, uh, approach with caution, and make sure that if you are advising in that area, you you do really immerse yourself and become a specialist in that area, um, and really understand all the different options available on that note have you seen an increase in guarantor mortgages uh, joint borrower sole proprietor and and how do you and corico keep on top of the changes to those products and also the amount of criteria changes especially in those <laughs> kind of areas that must be going on yeah i mean again it, it comes back to sharing information and making sure we all get the alerts from from the uh, from the lenders we have a weekly sales meeting where we'll 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 share different changes and point out things that others might not have seen, um, and keeping in touch that way. Um, we do use things like um, Knowledge Bank and um, uh, Legal in General's version as well, which is really good. Um, both of those are really good for keeping up with um, with criteria. Um, so yeah, it is tough. It is tough to keep up to date with it when you've got something like 90 to 100 different lenders and something like 10, 12,000 different products. Um, lenders can help more. Um, I hate seeing lenders bury their changes in at the bottom of rate communications, um, which um, which doesn't help at all. It's uh, I think if lenders are changing criteria, don't hide it. Just 
just explain why you're doing it and put it front and centre so everyone understands. It avoids so many more questions and, and calls into the lender when something goes wrong. Um, and joint borrower sole proprietor is something that has grown quite a bit. We, we've seen a lot of it being a London broker. It's something that we've done for a while. Um, and it's good that there are more choice available in, the, in that because there are loads of different reasons why, why that might be a good option for, for a borrower. Um, so I think that'll um, that'll continue to be something that'll that'll be a growing part of the market. And the latest data suggests that there's going to be, I think, it's the highest ratio ever that there's going to be over fifty percent mm. of borrowers sixty five and above still with mortgage. So in terms of like lifetime mortgages, equity release, a lot of people are predicting both short and long-term, a boom in those areas. I can well see many reasons why the bank of mum and dad and potential equity releases is, is is going to come in over the next few years. One, because of rising costs, as we've said, especially for families, people wanting to get that deposit or do something with the house, maybe that, that becomes an issue. And also people who businesses may become tricky, redundancies, potentially the advance of technology, AI, this decade people need to potentially retrain there's loads of different reasons why i can see the bank of mom and dad one of them being pensions you know the bank of mom and dad mm. if issues with equity they might want to take voluntary redundancy haven't got enough in the pension ifa wants to refer them to a mortgage broker do you do you think mortgage brokers who aren't in the equity release space need to start looking at that and i and taking the relevant exams or bringing people in to do that or is it better to just stay tunnel vision stay in your niche and sort of drill one hole and dig it, dig it deep, so to speak? Um, I quite like specialists. I think it's it's quite, um, I think with equity release, it can be quite dangerous if you're just dipping in and out of it. Um, it is something that that is, is specialist. It is something that you need to really, really know your market. You do need a really, really good process. Um, it's something we don't do, for example, at the moment, um, but, but because of that, um, although we are looking at, at maybe getting specialists in that area, I think it's a really interesting area. It is something that is going to grow, definitely, with an ageing population. Um, but I think the industry itself in equity release needs to change a bit. It needs to become a little more open. It needs to... Um, some of the pricing, which has improved a lot, um, could still maybe get a little bit better. Um, and I think some of the proc fees paid are way too high. Um, and um, I think people need to get into it for the right reasons. So, for example, if a broker comes to me and says, um, I really want to get into equity release, I always ask why. Um and when they say, I've had a really great conversation with someone who says, oh, well, I was talking to my nan the other day. I really like helping old people, et cetera. Great, good reason. Um, too many people still say, have you seen the proc fees? You can earn a lot more. That's a wrong reason to get into it. To get into it. Um, and that worries me. So, so I think there's, a, there, there's some way to go um, for that market. It's got a lot better over the years. Um, but I still think there's some way to go. Um, but if you are looking to get into it, then I think it's something that should be a main part of your business, not just uh, now and then I'll dip my toe into it because I, I, I don't think that's the right way to go. 
And a lot of mortgage brokers have the issue of ongoing. Do a stay AR, go DA, so go DA, AR. Your AR, I think you always have been AR. Forgive me if I'm wrong on that. Um, why do you continue to remain as an AR? Like, what are the what do you think the benefits are? If there were if there were mortgage brokers thinking about that, listening or considering that, what 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 would you view? Um, it's a great conversation, this because um, so I was always a DA. So for for most of my my working life, I've been a DA. When, when we set up Corico, um, we we got involved with uh, Mortgage Advice Bureau and Peter Brodnicki and. Um, and actually, when we set up it, it was it made sense for us to be an AR, and it has made sense for us to be an AR um, from a personal perspective um, up until this point. Um, it's something we always look at, and we always think about, and um, the onus is is not just on the business, but also on the um, on the principal. So actually, you know, we always look at actually what do MAB add? What do they give us? Why, why should we stay with them? And to this point, they've always added more than actually um, staying with them than actually setting up a DA. So, so it's something that is individual. I don't think there's a right or wrong. I really don't. Um, I think a lot of networks can help by being more, uh, again, more transparent about their costs and their fees and their, if you do want to leave, their procedures for leaving. Um, and I think that can help. But um, but actually, there's no right or wrong. There's, there's no, you're better off being an AR or, or you're better off being a DA. The truth is there's, there's a place for both of them. They're both as just as important as the other. Um, the networks do a fantastic job in a lot of, in a lot of instances um they've done MAB have been fantastic for for Corico I can't I can't fault them at all um and it's an individual choice so it might be that one day we get to a position where actually we think actually we're better off DA or, or but you know we, we're not in that position yet and likewise someone might think actually I'm an AR at the moment I want to go and set up my own business and be a small DA and that's fine that will suit them um, it's just about really, really understanding the options and working out which one works best for you. Um, there is so much regulation out there. There's so much compliance. There's so much changing. There's so much coming down the line from the FCA um, that sometimes having someone bigger, badder and uglier than you on your side um, can really help. Um, but likewise, don't be afraid of the FCA. They are very helpful for small DAs. They, they are there. They're, they're not the um, the fire breathing dragon that, that people think they are. Um, so it's you know it's a, a typical sitting on the fence answer as you'd expect, but um, but there, there's room for both, and, and I think um, both sectors will continue to be strong over the coming years. Yeah, the indemnity insurance market, I think, is going to be a key player in that. And yeah, that's that going market, to be very interesting. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's a tough I think what we have right to now. keep, a, a, one of the biggest issues is going to be around fees, FCA fees and indemnity. And that will help. Um, that, that, that's something that I worry about. 
And I think that we worry about, as Amy, is, is making sure that those fees do not get too draconian and become barriers for entry for, for smaller DA firms um, that actually mean that people leave the industry because of it or firms have to shut because of it. And that's not what should happen. We, ha- we have to make sure that all the fees that are charged are, are proportional and they're justified as well. And that's something we continue to, um, to battle for. Yeah, I'm, I'm SRA regulated and FCA regulated, and let's just say I prefer the one that begins with a f. f-, 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 f- <laughs> so, tr- any anyone who's a mortgage broker who thinks they may, you know, the regulator might be um, anything other than, let's say, um, okay, um, yeah, I can <laughs> definitely. I prefer that one. Um, what are your ambitions for? To, to wrap up, what are your ambitions for 2022 and beyond? What does, what does the next 12 months hold for you and Carlico, Andrew? Um, first of all, survive <laughs> and get through get through this. Um, look, we, we've got some, some very clear ambitions. We've got a really clear plan about, about what we want to do as a business um, and how we think we can take on the future and how we can grow. Um, we're looking at, at growth, not just for growth's sake. It's all about growing profitably and carefully we've, we've just opened an office in south end um we're looking at growing our network and actually making corico um a truly national broker we we want to we want to be a destination where where brokers can think actually do you know what that's a brand that i really like its values that's somewhere where i can see myself working um and likewise to to engage our customers that little bit more, um, to continue our retention plans. Um, you know, we're a big believer to to, to nick, nick a phrase from um, a well-known advertising agency is to to find people to grow them and to keep them, and and that's not just staff; that's also clients and introducers, and that, and that's sort of our ethos. Um, so we do have some really good plans. Um, we, we need to develop our um, website a little bit more and, and, and be a bit better there. But there, there are loads that there's always something to do. Um, we've just taken on um, uh, Nick from, from John Charcoal, who's, who's really going to help us and, and free up a lot of my time to really start working on the business rather than just in it and, and really to, to drive that, that plan of where we see the future. Um, so it's exciting times, um, and I'm really looking forward to the next 12 months, actually, as long as we're not in a, a lockdown and I can get out of this. Uh, I don't want another six months stuck in my Harry Potter-esque cupboard under the stairs office. Um, it's great to be able to see people face-to-face and engage with them more. And, uh, and yeah, so, so I think it's going to be... It's going to be a tricky year the next 12 months for brokers generally, but there's a lot of positives there. Um, and for the brokers that re- really go out there and embrace it, really look after their clients, embrace some of the new technology that's coming through, um, then I think it's a really rosy future. And Thank you. And that's it for this week, everyone. 
Andrew, thank you so much. You've been an absolutely fantastic guest and, and thank you to everyone who's who's listening or watching. If you want any further information on Coraco and Andrew, please check out the links in the show details below. Uh, please share and spread the word about the channel. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please hit us with a five-star review. But more importantly, please stay well and take care.